Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Mike Hansen. Hey, Mike. Hey, Bruce. So we're going to talk about what we've been talking about pretty much all week, which is inflation. And let's just start with the observation that globally we are tracking a three-tenths month-on-month gain in the month of July, uh, which is less than half the average pace we've been running this year. So my, I guess, observation is that we should never put a lot of weight on one month's inflation report. But having said that, you're going to put a lot of weight on it. So tell me, tell me why we should put weight on that and, and what does it actually tell us about the path ahead? Yeah, well, we've been looking for this pivot, uh, this turn in inflation for a little while. And I, I think that the, the evidence is accumulating that maybe it is finally here. Um, I think obviously the most significant indication of that is the fact that we've seen energy prices and, and more broadly commodity prices come down pretty hard. Uh, Europe is obviously the exception with natural gas prices being quite elevated there. But more broadly around the globe, that's been an important contributor. The energy uh, decline in particular is an important contributor in seeing uh, some of these inflation numbers come off quite dramatically. We're running six, seven, eight tenths the last couple months, and like you said, now we're running three tenths for July. So yeah. So the the energy and energy, and to some degree also the food price story, is a turn in in what had been an intense commodity price shock related to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But there's there's more going on here. I think the the part that people may not be appreciating is what seems to be happening in core goods price inflation. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, that seems to have come off a fair bit as well. Um, you know, in the in the U.S., some of that is uh, the fact that you've seen import prices come way off. The strengthening of the dollar, of course, uh, is playing a, a role there. It has the mirror image in other countries, uh, of course, um, and particularly some of the EM countries. But you, you've you know, I've seen pretty significant evidence that uh, you know that underlying uh, uh, supply shock uh, dynamic is starting to ease um, and so you know there's a there's a number of factors I think that are contributing towards this idea the rotation of, of uh, demand away from goods and towards services there's there's you know several things that point to this direction that, that goods prices may start to, to slow a bit more as we go forward and certainly you've got the accumulated effect of, of past rate hikes potentially having an impact as well so yeah, I, I think the to me the the most important point on goods pricing to get across is that we've had a run, of probably as much as six months now, pretty soft, and 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 in the second quarter contracting uh, goods sector demand globally. At least that's what our proxies say, and that gives you the one-two punch. One is that it does diminish pricing power, but the you know the magnifying effect of that in a world in which supply constraints have been a significant source of inflation, and now they start to ease. And we certainly can see that in the survey data. We can certainly see that in the some of the cost data. And we can see, you know, in the pricing intentions data as well. So I, I think we have to be careful here that it hasn't come off that much in the hard data. What we're really saying is, as, as, you, as you were noting earlier, a lot of the July inflation uh, moderation was, was energy, uh, but there's a lot more to be uh, confident in in terms of core goods price inflation moderating in the months ahead and and reinforcing what looks like a continued um, deceleration in the in the volatiles uh, coming from food and energy prices. Now this isn't happening uh, in any kind of an even-handed way uh, across the globe, and maybe we should just talk to the point of what we think is happening 
on a regional basis on inflation? Yeah, I mean, the the U.S. has obviously seen, as you pointed out, some, some notable slowing. Uh, we had a downside surprise, in fact, in the July number there. Um, you're seeing less of that uh, in Western Europe. That's probably where things have come off some, but not nearly as much, right? Um, and you're seeing some clearer signs, perhaps, in, in parts of the EM that, that inflation has turned. You had some really notable prints. Uh, I mean, some of the very idiosyncratic Russia and Brazil come to mind, right, as having very idiosyncratic points, but they came off quite hard. Um, Russia, Brazil, and the U.S. all posted negative headline CPI prints on a month-on-month basis. U.S. was flat. The axis, of the axis it was actually unrounded. It was a negative. Okay, fair. <laughs> the axis of, disinflate, of deflation coming to the fore here. <laughs> exactly. Right. But I mean, it, it, things have come off, but they're still on the strong side, right? I mean, you're still running uh, closer to, I think, a percentage point a month in parts of, um, of Central Europe, right? And um, the number of the Latin American uh, economies, again, have come off, but they're still running, you know, north of five. Right. But looking, but let's look just beyond the July number. I think the point you made a minute ago is really uh, central here, which is the U.S. is coming off. It's got a dollar support. It's got the compression of wholesale um, uh, gasoline prices uh, contributing to, to that factor. And then in Europe, you've got a, a drag on natural gas that's actually continuing to build. The, the currency may be more important for some of the central European countries, but for the region as a whole, it's, it's really this natural gas price story. And I think that's where we get an interesting wrinkle because in the aggregate, a removal of some of the supply side drags are a positive for growth. And we were hitting that quite a bit uh, last week, especially with it, with it coming alongside the employment report in the U.S. But it is a, um, a totally different story in Europe here where inflation is high and the supply side drag from natural gas is a major threat to the, to the expansion there. Yeah, I mean, if, if anything, like we mentioned at the outset, you're still seeing natural gas prices move up quite a bit. I mean, they're now running well above 200 euro per megawatt hour. That's, you know, 25% above. That's high. That's it's not high. just high. It's very high. Uh, <laughs> but it's also a good 25% above what our forecast assumes. And our forecast is delivering this mild yeah. recessionary, uh, you know, dynamic at the turn of the year. And so the risks in Europe are still to the downside, whereas you point out in the U.S., You've got this strong labor market. You've got very strong wage growth. You removed some of the drag on consumers with the drop in, in gasoline and energy prices, and so that actually posts, you know, at least in the near term, some potential upside uh, for the U.S. as purchasing power squeeze uh, abates to some extent, right? Yeah, and let's now talk about the central bank reaction function because you could argue there, okay, well, we're going to get a big disinflationary impulse in the U.S. For what it's worth, our forecast for the second half of the year is that U.S. inflation moves from something which had been close to 10% to something around 3%. So that's a huge disinflation. Uh, we haven't changed our call on the Fed in September. We still have them moving 75. Uh, we haven't taken off um, a 50 for the ECB, even though natural gas prices are moving. And as you say, there's a greater recession risk. It does not seem that DM central banks here are kind of um, responding to either the growth concerns in Europe or the inflation moderation in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I think it, anything, in fact, some of the other DM central banks, we've added uh, to the pace of hikes recently, right? And I think it's because 
yeah. most of the DM central banks are still in the process of front loading. They're still in the process of kind of catching up to get to neutral or in several cases a little bit beyond neutral. So that policy turns a bit restrictive uh, because right now they've been really kind of running behind for quite some time. Remember, there were, central banks have been patient for a long time last year, waiting to think that maybe inflation would roll over more or less on its own. And so they've had to catch up in the DM. Uh, they're still in the process of doing that. But I would I would argue that there's a um, there's a few central banks that are still catching up, and you can talk about the ECB certainly in that light. But when you look at the Fed at this point, having gotten the the ceiling of its policy rate corridor to, to two and a half percent, and uh, thinking about going another seventy five, the RBNZ, which we have moving towards a three percent policy rate uh, next week. Uh, we're talking now about, I think, central banks that are basically decided that they need to put in place restrictive stances and stances that will slow their economies enough to get the labor market to ease. So in some ways, it's the labor market that is the guide uh, to their policy path, not the inflation news, certainly not headline inflation that's being driven by these supply side uh, forces. Right. Yeah, I think that, that we're at the crux of that pivot, I think, for some central banks, right? particularly in the DM space, where now they can start to focus on the idea that, you know, whether it's the labor market or growth more broadly, getting to a point that's consistent with a sustainable reduction in inflation, right? We'll see that. But I think if you don't get materials, if we're sitting here with with 400,000 job growth in the U.S. in the fourth quarter, the Fed isn't pivoting anywhere. Uh, the, Fed, the, Fed, the, the Fed needs to, that, that. And I think that's the point, that you need to have the signs that the labor market at the minimum is not tightening and probably in, in some sense that it's easing in order to get the central banks and the DM to to really think about not 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 even uh, pausing, but even slowing the, the pace that they're on right now. Now, the EM, the story is 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 somewhat different, right? We are actually starting to get inklings of a, of a pivot uh, from the central banks. We've actually made some changes to forecasts in recent weeks in that, in that direction. Right. Some of that, of course, is that those central banks moved earlier, more aggressively. They've got higher you know, real rates later this year. Um, so in some extent, they, they've kind of completed the, the hiking cycle and are now looking at the fact that with inflation starting to come off, uh, which they've been very sensitive to, uh, there's some you know, more focus on the downside risks, right? Certainly in Central Europe, because they've got that big energy shock staring them in the face, right? But even in places like, you know, LATAM, where we are forecasting a recession there as well for uh, the second half of this year, right? So you're seeing those central banks that have moved more aggressively first and have gotten maybe a bit further along now completing that pivot that I think the DM central banks are in the process of going towards, right? Um, but not yet seeing enough evidence to, to make the pivot, right? Yeah, I think there's an interesting distinction here for um, both LATAM and the Central Europeans. We actually have contractions forecasted. Uh, and, and if you're thinking about where policy rates are in relation to inflation pressure, actually, they're, they're far more well positioned to consider a pause in LATAM than they are in, in, in Central Europe. But if anything, well, they, they're both in the midst of, of showing central banks that are getting more more dovish, but but it, but there's no sense that the uh, uh, the C four is in in some ways kind of recognizing that it might actually have more work to do here, especially given that even with the disinflation, even with the downshift in uh, growth that we've got in the second half of the year, we've got contractions in a number of C four economies. 
we still have inflation ending the year running at above a 10% pace. So there's an interesting differentiation there in terms of macro performance, but not so much in terms of how central banks are, are shifting at this point in time. So um, I guess the, um, the other thing we should just recognize as we think about next week is um, the inflation pickup in the, uh, you know, inflation, dis disinflation that we're seeing in the U.S. and in, in some other countries perhaps gets you some boost to, to spending, but it's not happening right away. We're not looking for a, a particularly strong retail sales report in July. Manufacturing surveys, we're looking for Empire and Philly, both to print headline uh, in negative territory. Um, and we saw already July car sales, which are on the still pretty pretty soft in terms of their underlying trends. So there's there's a benefit here from falling inflation, but it's coming against the backdrop of sentiment having been hit, drags that have been accumulating. Um, and obviously, if, if the world is playing out the way we're expecting, uh, a European economy, which particularly is is at vulnerable here of going uh, into into recession in the next few months, which certainly will have reverberations uh, across the globe. I guess the last thing to say here is we got China data next week, um, and uh, you know the the idea is that we will continue to see that reopening rebound uh, take place in the uh, in the July data prints. So maybe we'll um, end it there and uh, uh, hope everybody's having a, a manageable summer in the face of the hot weather, which seems to be most everywhere, uh, and hope we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you.